This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, we're finally back. The Rock and Pot Expo has been a success. It's behind us. It's over. It's time to get back to business right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my friend. I can't believe he's even here, but here he is. The man who put it all together for us last week worked his butt off at the expo, barely survived it all, but he's here, and he's Chris Sinzak. If you can believe your ears. <laughs> I'm sick. He finally found his radio voice, people. I did. Yeah, no, it's um, I uh, I came down with strep like the day after everything ended. So uh, that's amazing. So yeah, I'm still fighting that, but uh, I feel better. And I was like, screw it, I don't want to fall behind. I want to go ahead and get back on the horse and, right. and record today. So this can only help make you feel better. Uh, pardon my current day Paul Stanley impression. Slow <laughs> oh, down. Sorry. You know, I was thinking about that about how this hit you right after the expo ended. Right after, because I was thinking, oh my goodness, what would have happened if like it would have hit that day. Like, Aaron, you're in charge of everything. <laughs> it would have been a disaster. It would have been all over Blabbermouth. It would have been <laughs> all over the local news when the poor building burnt down. <laughs> Man. Yeah, no, it, it went okay. And then, like, it, everything went pretty smoothly, and uh, I'm overwhelmed by all the positive response to it and all the awesome recap episodes from all the show yeah. hosts and, and all the kind words and everything. And I... uh I'm humbled. I can't, you know, I appreciate everyone's nice thoughts and words on it. It was uh, it was a success and uh, took a lot of us to make it happen. It wasn't just me. So there's a lot of people to thank for that. Yeah, it was an adventure for sure. If you missed it, good Lord, we're going to be doing it again next year for sure because everybody had so much fun this time. We got to do it again. I wish Rock and Pod was every weekend. Oh, God. I don't know no. if you could survive it. No, <laughs> I'd be dead inside two weeks. No, I mean, I, it, I'm happy everyone enjoyed it. That's That was the point. And that's know? like I told you, I finally, through the Rock and Pod Expo, realized my calling in life. What? I need to be a Rock and Pod Expo greeter. Yeah. That needs to be my nine to five. Go to it every day. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you had more FaceTime with the the guests than I did. Like I I got to to stop, shake hands, give hugs, and say and say thanks for for doing this. And right. that's pretty much the extent of it for me. I was running all over that building. Yeah, me too. But I pretty much like totally abandoned the decibel geek table. I, I think I sat down at it for ten minutes, and that was to sit with Cobras and Fire and record yeah, with them. Other that's than that, I, I never sat at it. That was the, my final thing of the night was to sit down with those guys and talk. And I just saw the picture they posted on Facebook right. of us, and I was like, I don't even remember what we talked about by this point. I haven't, I haven't posted it yet, but I'm going to say it's a new show concept called Three Kicks to the Groin. Ouch! Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. what it looks like. But no, it's it was so fun to uh, to meet everybody in person and and hang out and talk yeah. talk music and. You know, and then you know, of course, the in the night before the pre-party was great. And that was awesome. The, the man. bands were awesome. And All three of those bands blew minds that yeah. night. You know, I've talked to different people and say, oh, the tip was great, and, and you know, Denman was great, and the Desolation Angels, I think, really were the surprise of the night because I mean, they came out and just freaking killed it, and everybody was blown away yeah. by it. I, well, I got a sneak preview of them. I saw them a couple of months ago at another club, and. So I knew they were going to be a great start to the oh, night, yeah. and uh, yeah, all three bands just played great. The whole place was packed. Yeah, uh, it was so much fun. It was that's great. that's where I got to meet people for the first time. Yeah, you know, a lot of them for me too. And you're standing there talking to somebody, and all of a sudden you hear a voice behind you, and be like, "Holy shit, 
it's BJ. You don't even have to turn around and look. You know, it's him. You know, yep. it's, it's the Kahuna. You know, you talk, oh man, <laughs> holy shit. You know, and so many things like that through the night. You know, running into Ian down there. You know, and just right. drinking beers and having fun. And we all got pretty buzzed. We're, I'm hanging out with Cannon and Baco, and we're all yeah. back on the patio. And they brought their buddy Rob with them, and he was hammered, but he was so much fun <laughs> to talk to. And uh, what you're going to hear today is the producers panel yeah. from the next day. Rob is one of the guys that contributes questions. Two of the most awesome questions that were asked on that. Yeah, you know? definitely. And that was always the funny thing that night because uh, after the producers panels, kind of getting to that point where. We're going to ask questions. I think it was right after the questions were asked. I think Toby said, I usually don't like doing the Q&A sessions right. because, you know, the questions are usually pretty dumb. And I had to laugh and say, ah, not at the Rock and Pod <laughs> Expo, baby, you know, because they were all great questions. Well, I you was, know, and it was awesome. I was going to go. I was going to. Chris Farley and I, you remember the time you worked with Allison Chase? <laughs> well, I pretty much awesome. had that covered because there was people that were there just because they were Allison Chains fans and they were there for sure. the producer's panel and they're like, try to get some Allison Chains stories oh, out of them. So, to. you know, as you guys listen to this, I tried. I really did. Uh, we got good. I think we got pretty good responses from all of them. And, oh, uh, man. Yeah. And, uh, and and Michael, was, so cool. Michael's as always. always. Toby Wright, so cool as always. You yeah. know, so much fun to do this. And some of you are going to be like, well, I heard Kevin Beamish was going to be part of this well he was but so close he only missed it by like 10 minutes it was late getting back into town and he was texting me throughout the morning and i'm like well you know we're on stage at one yeah get here if you can you know just walk straight up to the stage and then like about 1 30 like 30 minutes into the talk i get another thing while while we're on stage i'm in the area i can't find the venue and i'm like well this is this ain't gonna happen yeah i text him when it was over i was like we just got off stage. He's like, I understand. It's no biggie. But um, we do want to have him on the show. Yeah, most show. definitely. God, certain words are catching in my throat. Sorry, guys. Uh, I apologize to your ears this week. Um, but, but he soldiers on. I soldiered on. But, uh, it, no, it was great. And uh, getting to talk to those guys on a live stage. And it felt good getting in front of an audience. You know, I'd like to do that more if we're able to. Yeah. And like you say, it's been so awesome to listen to the other podcasts that are now releasing great. all their stuff. Yeah, and and you know, and if we it would take us an hour and a half to go through all the great people we talked to, but just like got the all, all the shows that came were great and then um Ken Mills, you know, the pod father himself. Yeah, I was listening to some of that earlier. You know, Ken about made me cry last night when I was listening to the yeah. podcast episode cuz it's like it's one of the things like, you know, the main motivations I had to book this were well, for to connect people to hang out and have a good time. And I, it's just one of those things like, it'd be cool to have a party with all these podcasters and yeah. then have some signings, have some vinyl. And then, you know, hopefully it turns people on to shows. And that was my main baseline motivation for doing this. And then Ken's just, you know, talking about all these great connections and the right. human interaction. And, yeah. and, you know, it's just like, you know, I didn't, I didn't even realize. And he told me that day a couple of times, he's like, you don't realize what you've done. But it's gonna sink in eventually, and it it has. It's yeah. like it's it's more than just podcasting. Like it 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 took on a whole different different feel. Like it it meant totally. more to people than I ever expected. It right? To. Yeah. It was all day long. The vibe was so good, and you know to listen back to Ken Mills talking about it and stuff. And you, like you said, you know the. Because he was so cool, man. It was so great to meet him. That was, to me, was worth it alone, yeah. was to meet Ken Mills in person. Yeah. How cool, well, you know? And, and for me to meet him and him and both him, both him and Gary Schaller, right? who started. And, you know, Gary even predates Ken on podcasts. It was Gary right. and a guy named Ferk who started it. And I told them, I was like, you know, I used to fucking, before I even had an iPod, I would burn podcast episodes onto CD, and I still have them in a binder. Right. And, like, the, no shit. Like, I wouldn't be, this show wouldn't exist without podcasts. I mean, it's a... 
it's a huge influence on on not just me but a lot of shows sure they've sponsored so many shows but but no it just and you know john lamro from the hustle i know he may not have totally felt in place but he was a necessary ingredient and i'm so glad he came he did he did a killer job on the on the uh, songwriting panel right and he brought in walter egan robert white johnson and it was good to have that variety and if we you know if we do this in the future I want I want it to be a variety of rock and roll, just you know, and have a mix of that stuff because it's cool to have some more, you know, a mix of stuff like that. Right. I'm looking forward to hearing the uh, <laughs> interview he did with Gary Corbett because he, he did a great one. He took Gary Corbett aside yeah. and asked him all the questions that we as hard rockers probably missed or wouldn't ask. You yeah. Know? So I'm looking forward to hearing the other side. Yeah, you know, I the, listened to some of that one. We the other we day. know the heavier side of Gary Corbett. Right. I think we can learn There's the lighter side. side. Yeah. And then. <laughs> And I, I, I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Ralph and Ian and the Rock and Metal Combat <laughs> live well, that, panel. That's what I was going to say. You know, it was so nice of Ken Mills to put over my professionalism, but I was going to say Baco and Cannon and Ian and the Doctor would have probably different perspectives on how professional Aaron Camaro really was. <laughs> well, they're, uh, they had the most unforgettable panel of the day, I would oh, say. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was one of those things where if those of us that get it, we get it, and it was enjoyable. But right. There was probably a good portion of people in that room that had no idea what was about to hit them. No. <laughs> and it hit them hard. Yeah, it did. Um, oh, man, they ruffled feathers down there. But I would, you would expect no less no, from those guys. It, they they lived up to their billing. Yeah. And, uh, and then they came over the next day with uh, with uh, Rock and Ron and Henning from Germany. And, yeah. And I have to special mention again, a big thank you to Henning right. Melke for so much support through this, coming all the way from Germany, helping fund this whole thing. and. Um, believes in it and told me he'll be happy to back things next year and, That's and awesome. come back again. Yeah, because so. we, I mean, that yeah. was the greatest part of it all was just getting to hang out and get to know the guy. And, you know, He's we, so nice. You know him from the show, from his appearance on the show, but yeah. we went and got some extra stuff. And here, here's the thing. You know, we can't bring you the whole Rock and Pod Expo because mm-hmm. if you missed it, you missed an amazing thing. Start. We're, we'll, we're going to start letting you know about next year because mm-hmm. now we know we're going to do it next year. So we can start our planning a little bit earlier. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for the VIPs and people thinking about becoming a VIP, here's a great reason to do it. As usual, I was just kind of running around with the Zoom on for a good portion of the entire Rock and Pod Expo. So you just get a mix mash of all different things going on at the Expo just because I happen to be standing next to a cool conversation right. or having one of my own and uh, running into Chris here and there throughout the day and talking to other people and doing things. So much fun. The VIPs, just like Farm Rock, mm-hmm. you know, where I ran around as the man in the streets, you're going to get the same thing with the Rock and Pod Expo. So be looking for that. And now that things are calmed down with the Rock and Pod Expo, I want to also send a message to our VIPs to let them know that uh, you got some big stuff coming your way. Yeah, I'm about to knock it out of the park for the VIPs because I've got stuff that I've been meaning to put out. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, as we speak, I've got our conversation with Adam Gold from Nashville Scene mm-hmm. slash Rolling Stone Magazine. And that's going to go out to the VIPs. By the time we're done recording this, yeah, hear everything that was left out of the article, <laughs> <laughs> which no, is like was, which is like ninety nine point three percent of it. But yeah, no, it was like it a was three fantastic. hour hang. He was great to talk to. So cool. I want to have him back out to actually record an episode. And um, right, so the the next VIP, it's like a Bizarro Chris and Aaron show. Where it really is. We're actually the ones being interviewed. So technically, it's the Adam Gold show. Kind of is with special guests Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Yeah, but it was a. Uh, quite a weekend and uh yeah we'll get to the producers panel in a minute we got to get take care of a little bit of business first and then we'll get into it right mm-hmm. on 
God, I can't talk. Are you going to try to read Geeks of the Week? I was thinking about it, but it's probably better if I don't. It's probably better if you don't, because we're actually recording a whole other episode after this, and uh, I want to I see you make it. Um, since we're not going to do that this week, I do want to make a quick mention of this. You know, Metal Mike, our good friend, he's up in Louisville, Kentucky, but he's going to be appearing at the, uh, or he's going to be uh taking pictures at this show that sounds really cool if you're in the area in louisville around louisville it's the uh bourbon and beyond thing they got going on up there and uh some of the people going to be there is eddie vetter um man so many bands johnny lang kenny wayne shepherd paul rogers is going to be there and the steve miller band a whole bunch more check that out louisville kentucky bourbon and beyond metal mike's going to be there tell him we said hi can I give a plug now? Sure, do it. I'm going to give a plug for us. Okay. And uh, and our website and our YouTube channel. Right, yeah. Um, this is a special exclusive thing we're doing. Um, we're proud to announce that we've partners with, partnered with High Vol Music, who was a sponsor of the Expo. We know them and we love them. And uh, we're going to help promote the upcoming release of the new Every Mother's Nightmare release, Grind. Nice. And uh, over, over the next month, you'll be getting exclusive Every Mother's Nightmare releases via the Decibel Geek media channels. On September 8th, the video premiere of the single Push will be released exclusively through our YouTube channel. Oh, right on. We will be the people that we will be the first to have that. Sweet. And on September 22nd, the Every Mother's Nightmare Nightmare Advance album review will be available for reading on the Decibel Geek website. Right on. And then uh, the Grind album officially drops on October 6th. And we're proud to be associated with Every Mother's Nightmare. We're working to get Rick Rule on the show at some point also. Sweet, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, some exclusive stuff for that. Right, and if you're excited about that, I saw our good friend Stephen Wright sitting down with Rick Rule at the Rock and Pod Expo, so he's got something, what is it, uh, Growing Up Rock? Oh, Stephen Michael, yeah. Or Steve, yeah, Stephen Michael, yeah. what did I say? Stephen Wright. Uh, well, uh, yeah, he's a great a comedian. Great comedian. Yeah, but well, actually Steve Wright was from Potter Than Hell, which is another cool new podcast. Oh, okay, right on. But yeah, he did... Uh, I know what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he did a cool interview with him, and I think Rick appeared on another show as well. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting times for uh, High Vol Music and Every Mother's Yeah, Nightmare. that's very cool. Yeah. I'm excited for that. I can't wait to hear the new music. We do have a couple of uh, iTunes reviews. We do? Yeah. Okay. Can you read it? Because I don't have none of that brought up over here. Okay. Now I'm going to make you read extra. Well, let's just save them. Why don't I do one out of the two? Okay, go ahead and do one. The title of this one is I Laughed, I Cried. <laughs> oh, no. It's five stars from Joey Rock and Roll RST. We know who that is. That's Joey from Rock Strikes 10. Heck yeah. It says, Chris and Aaron, in addition to being some of our finest citizens, know their stuff, and they also know what they like. With a guest roster I'm jealous of, plus a true passion for rock, it's a no-brainer that you must listen and subscribe. Very cool. <sighs> Thank you, Joey. Thanks, man. I didn't know you were going to keep reading. I shut all my stuff down when you said we sh- probably should save your voice, but... Well, we have one more review, and we'll, but we'll save that for next week. Okay, cool. So we want to get to the... Only one? Well, we actually got a bunch. Okay, good. i two for today. All right. Well, don't spoil it for me. So it's time to get to the producer I don't, don't want to know ahead of time if I'm going to cry or not. I think you're good for a couple of weeks at least. <laughs> All right, sounds good. As always, we expect you and hopefully you will support that YouTube stuff we got going on. You know, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You never know what's going to come up, but I guarantee it's going to rock because Rock and Ron Runyon's running the ship over there. And, you know, he was all over the Rock and Pod Expo with his great. camera. And yeah. we got to hang out with him. And he's just one of the cool individuals yeah, I've ever Ron. met in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
yeah, we got to get him back into town too. You yeah, know, next year for the expo. So many people I miss already. You know, I want to hang out with these guys all the time. Yeah, it was forty-eight hours of, of hanging, and then almost oh. everyone's gone. It's just me and Aaron now. Oh, now it's just back down to us, <laughs> and here we are. But thankfully, we've got great memories from the Rock and Pot Expo. We're going to share them with the VIPs, and we're going to share a little bit with you right here today. Check out our Facebook page. Love us on Instagram. You know, do all the stuff that you can do to support us, and we're going to keep rocking for you. So here you go. Live to digital, <laughs> right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast from the Rockin' Pod Expo, first ever, 2017. Our special guests, Toby Wright and Michael Wagner. This is our producers panel. And please give a warm welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast with Eric Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Like I said, we're, we're really excited to be here. This is something that I know Chris has put a lot of work into to make happen. It warms my heart to see so many rock and rollers and so many podcast supporters out here making this happen. It, it's blowing me away. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for you. Let's see. All right, so then on top of that, look what we got going on up here. Yeah, this is yeah, an incredible honor. And I, Kevin Beamish was talking about possibly making it in time, but I guess he was too tight on time to come, and he came in late to town. So we're going to go ahead and start. If he joins us, we can throw a mic up real fast and get him on board. But uh, we're going to go ahead and start because you guys we don't stick to the schedule and everything. So obviously we've had both of these guys on our show multiple times. And uh, when it comes to rock and metal history, you've you needn't go any further than these two men right here on the stage. So if you haven't checked out the discography of Michael Wagner or Toby Wright, uh, pull your phone up on your Google machine and uh, look up their names and their discographies, and you'll be pretty much blown away. So Yes, and you're all, seriously, if you don't know that, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, why are you getting factories? I gotta assume that we're all, we're all nerd family in here, right? Yeah. Oh, we love it. We all do. That's why we're here, right? Yeah. So uh, thanks to both of you for being willing to give this insane idea a shot and show up for this. And it's, it's great to have you on board. Sure. My pleasure. Time. So, um, one thing I wanted to bring up first was like, um, you know, you both worked with many famous people. And, and I don't, I'm not digging for dirt, so you don't even have to name names. But like, what are some like kind of horror stories of, of, of albums you've worked on where something just went completely sideways and you had no idea it was going to happen? Like, you know, was maybe with one of the albums you've worked on that we would know. There's none. None? None. It all went perfect? All good. All good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to second the motion. Yeah. yeah. Nothing went crazy. Maybe a uh, tooth and nail because Toby and I we worked together. That was a crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, that's a testament to you guys that as producers to in your career to have never ever had that really happen to you. The, it speaks to you what you guys bring to it more than just pushing the buttons and you know trying to get guys to do the way you vision it, but to be able to wrangle a band. You know, is that? Is that ever difficult? Is the, does the partying ever get in the way? 
Well, you know, we're not in the 80s anymore. Right. You know, so it has calmed down a lot. But also, when you produce a record, you pick the people and the band that you like. You pick the music that you like. And from then on, you know, it's not work anymore. Yeah. And so, and, and uh, absolutely. there's always discussions. There's always, it's music, you know. It's always something that that is debatable, but not horror stories as per se, you know. <laughs> I'm not, like I said, you don't have to name names. I'm just, I'm just saying. But, uh, well, here's a question. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I think I know with Michael, you came from a, a musician's background to start with, but when did you decide that being a producer was what you wanted to be? I, I didn't decide that. I was, I was engineering uh, Dawkins' first album, and when the cart was completely in the dirt, Don decided that I'm now the producer. That's how I became a producer. Wow. wow. <laughs> That's an interesting position to be put into. Yeah. Well, what happened was, we were in Germany, and they had brought their American scrub tuners yeah. that run on 60 cycles, and Germany's 50 cycles. So after three days, everything was completely out of tune. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we didn't know why it was. And then Don goes, well, you're the producer now. I go, thank you. So <laughs> how, about, how about we use those German tuners? <laughs> right. <laughs> And yeah, we, what about you, Toby? When did you decide you wanted to do this? I got into it mostly on the technical side. Yeah. Um, brought in uh, by a band called Brighton Rock. And, yeah. Uh, oh, I, I, right. I did some demos for them, and their manager said, these are the best sounding things I've ever heard. We produced the record. Wow. Thrown right in. Nice. And that, wow. was, that was how that one started, so. Yeah, I know our Canadian friends definitely turned this on to Brighton Rock. Right. Definitely. That's something I never knew about growing up. That's a great band. Yeah, they're pretty cool, and they're yeah. actually back together now. You're right. Yeah, you a couple shows really good year. music too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When we had them, uh, when we uh, had you on the show, like our our friends Rich and Wally, they're up in Canada, and they're friends with the Brian Rock guys. And we told them that we interviewed Toby, and they had told us like, you know, oh my God, Toby, right? Yeah, they were just so <laughs> stoked to hear your name. Like we had so many fun times with them. But like, I just get the impression from the interviews we've done with both of you that. You know, it's not just a business thing. You guys like really become family with with these bands. You were like, because it's a very intimate thing to make an album together. You pretty much living with each other, doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Funny thing is, Bright Rock, I think, was the first band I did in America. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Nice. <laughs> See the connections being made. Yeah. Right. This is great to have you guys here together. That's awesome. So, um. You know, the, the 80s were a much different time, and you guys worked with a lot of big bands in that period of time, and then things completely changed in the 90s. What was your... Uh, what, <laughs> really? What was I your, didn't notice that. Maybe not for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the, uh, what was your opinion of the whole grunge wave, and how did it affect you as a producer? Well, let's put it that way. When that came up, I went uh, and put audio down and went into video. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was my idea about grunge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you have any grunge bands that sought you out to do their records? Or was um, it kind of a whole different way of even producing? Well, I turned down Soundgarden. <laughs> you know, you turned down Soundgarden. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, so you, was it Bad Motor Finger? Was it Bad Album? No, you know, when you when you were successful in the 80s, yeah. uh, then the grunge bands didn't even want to work with you. Right. Uh, they they right. were like on a completely different island. Right. You know? so, and, and they go, no, he's done all the hair bands. We don't want to work with him. So you got stereotypes. Well, I got the thing on my... <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Toby, you actually flourished during that time. Yeah. You did, you did, I mean, you worked with you went you worked on one of the most hairband sounding hairband albums with Crazy Nights by Kiss. Right. I did. But then you worked went on to work, of course, with Metallica, and then the the thing that a lot of people know you for is the work with Alice in Chains. So, Absolutely. So you saw the the uh, sea change as it was. Was it a big difference to you at the time? Uh, just a lot more work. A lot more work. Yeah. <laughs> but that's good grunge. That's a great grunge. Yeah, that's yeah. the best grunge there is. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it came, you know, from uh, doing a bit of engineering and, and producing in that 80s era. Yeah. And then turned the corner uh, into the Alice in Chains market. And, right. You know, because I, I heard them the first time and I was turned on. I wanted I wanted that band yeah. bad. Yeah. That's and I, I went after them and, and got them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great transition band from one to the other because they were doing the same thing, transitioning from that kind of music and that kind of sound into what they would become also. Right, exactly. So you went right along with that. And, you know, you're so well known for your Alice in Chains albums, your work with that band. You know, that's that's pretty amazing stuff. What are some of the best memories you have of working with Alice in Chains? Oh, God. <laughs> we go on forever. Yeah. You know, we just, it, it, it's like Chris said, we have a, you know, there's an intimate relationship when you have a, when you're doing a record. I did six or seven with them. Yeah. So we all, you know, just bonded really heavily. And it was, you know, quite a, a wonderful experience to work with them all. They're amazing musicians. Well, let me ask you this. How did you get your start, your introduction with Alice in Chains? Their uh, A&R guy at the time, his name is Nick Terzo, yeah. he, you know, I, I was friends with him and, you know, I just kept bugging him and bugging him and finally he said, I, I got two songs for a movie that you can do, yeah. try that out. And so it was uh, two songs that were on the Last Action Hero soundtrack, right. Last Action uh, Hero. Little Bitter yeah. and What the Hell Have I. Yeah. And I started with those two songs and they didn't like the way they were mixed and so I got called back to do the Jar of Flies record because somebody else mixed it. Wow. Right. So they didn't they didn't like that, so And that's how it began. And that's how it all began. That's amazing. Yeah, man. So now the loaded question for Michael. What are your best memories of working with Dokken? <laughs> <laughs> which one? Yeah, which one? <laughs> that's a fair question. Right. <laughs> well, you know, um, Don and I met in Germany in nineteen seventy nine and he wow. basically was the guy who brought me to America. Yeah. So we from early on, we're good friends. I was sleeping on his couch in the first <laughs> first few months, um, so we always got along very well. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, um, it's it's sometimes not easy to deal with egos in the studio, mm -hmm. and especially those two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for some reason, I got along with each one of them and, and we, we managed to make a, a bunch of good records. Uh, that's an understatement. Yeah. yeah. Right. So Every, there are a lot of, well, you go tell him I said this and you go tell him I said that. <laughs> I won't play a note while he's in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when we were at Michael's, one of the times we've gone out to, in, to interview him, I, I think I brought up the Dokken album, Dysfunctional, because I love the album. I do too. But I think he said that's the most aptly titled album of yes. all time. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yes, it was an interesting record for sure. But like that, George and Don—that's that's got to be an interesting dynamic to deal with as a producer because you have two very strong-willed guys there. Well, I have to say, yeah, they're strong-willed, but they're also brilliant musicians. Oh, absolutely. So you yes, know, uh, if you pull at the same string and you try to to do just a good record, mm -hmm. then they do understand that, and then you know they work 
on that with you. Yeah. They might still work against each other. Right. You know, but in the end, it's all about the record. Right. If it was up to George, it was all instrumental albums. Right. Oh, really? Right. right. <laughs> we don't need a vocal track for that one. No. <laughs> in so many words. Right. <laughs> All right, well, Toby, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, talk to you a little bit about Kiss in front of a room full of Kiss fans. Yeah. All right. I know, you're, I know you love talking about Kiss. But uh, no, I can, because not, not everyone heard our Carnival of Souls breakdown discussion. And let me just quantify that they did come to you and they said, we want to sound like Alice in Chains. They did. They, they were uh, high on the grunge sound at the moment. Yeah. Was it mostly Gene or was Paul 100% on board too? I think Paul was 100% on board. I yeah. mean, you know, he, it's hard to say, really, you know, thinking back to that day. Right. Um, you know, Bob Ezrin actually introduced me to Gene and, yeah. you know, said, he's your guy. So, you know, Gene took that and ran with it. And yeah. Here we are. I didn't know Bob Ezrin inter introduced you to him. Absolutely. That's yeah. an interesting mix of people right there. Right. Yeah. Bob, have either of you guys done any work with Bob Ezrin? I did an Alice, uh, Alice Cooper record with him. Which one was that? And that was a long, long time ago. Was that trash or? No, I can't remember. Oh, okay. What about you, Michael? Did you uh, almost. Oh. Well, on that last Alice Cooper record, yeah. where, um, he wanted me to come out to Phoenix and get the recording for the original Alice Cooper band. Yeah. But unfortunately, I didn't have the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. That would be cool. But, yeah, we know each other. And right. Well, you know, we're here in Nashville, and uh, what? Because neither of you are from here, so I mean, what? what because I, I didn't hear Michael's southern accent, of course. But, uh, uh, I know we went over this with Michael. What brought you to Nashville? What made you decide that this was the place you wanted to, to base out of? Oh, well, you know, let's put it that way. Three earthquakes, seven floods, two riots, and then I did a record here, and I go, I like it here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a, basically it's like a small, it's more, got the small town charm, but you still have all the industry stuff too. Right? Well, well, the thing is that LA got out of hand. Yeah. You know, too many people, too much crime, and and so and then during that last earthquake in '94, yeah, that was the decision. I'm that gonna was move out of here. I wasn't quite sure where to go yet, but they did an accept record here in Nashville. Oh yeah, I was here for two months, and and I fell in love with it. Right. Okay. I always like to tell people that you were the first one that came. Yeah. And everyone followed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, Wolf was here before. Oh, Wolf was yeah. here? That's right. So Wolf Hoffman was here. Yeah. What about you? What, Toby, what brought you to Nashville? Uh, pretty much the same. I was living in L.A. and, you know, the violence and the earthquake. and yeah. you know, it, it all got to me. And yeah. Then the, then the decline of the, of the music industry as well. Yeah. Um, there weren't as many records being made out there as there were being in here yeah um and then you know both coasts were pretty expensive too so right. it was yeah. a, it was a big thing to come here and you know I, i've been here about six years now so and you've seen it change even in six years you've seen it change a lot I'm sure. oh god yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's uh it, it's it's completely different now than it was well, especially when you came to the 90s i mean it's it's, a, yeah. it's yeah. a completely different town and it's like we're turning into Los Angeles Junior, at least. Right. Right. Look around you, my friends. Yeah, yeah. Look around you. This is Rock City right now in, in the United States, I believe it. Yeah. And really it is. I think a true testament to that is the fact when you look at a band like Denman, they come from upstate New York. They are an awesome rock band, as anybody that was at the pre uh, party last night will attest. They were amazing. And they decide we've got to get out of our small town. We've got to go somewhere where we can make an impact. They don't go to New York City. They don't go out to Los Angeles. 
they come right here to Music City and you know, and work with Michael Wagner and are producing amazing music and from what I heard last night, hopefully got some more stuff coming yep, up soon. They do. That's amazing. Yeah, to come here to pass up LA and New York to come to Nashville, I think that's amazing. Well and to sing their praises a little further, the night before the pre party, we have you know, we've got a lot of podcasters and people that came into from out of town for this and Greg Rinoff who's here wrote the book Van Halen Rising about Van Halen's early years. Well, so he loves Guitar Heroes. And I, right over there. Yeah, and I played first. I played him the video of, of him tracking a solo in your studio, of Dakota tracking a solo, and the solo ends, and Michael Wagner just goes, "Shit!" And I was like, "If you get Michael Wagner to do that, you're doing something right." Right. It was one take. Yeah. Right. And then he doubled it in one take. Yeah, the kid is an insane player. Unbelievable. And then I played him uh, High Heels and Leather. And he, we got done. He was like, "Can I hear that again?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, uh, yeah, they're just an amazing band, and uh, and and your with your production technique with their sound, it's just a, it's a great marriage. Yeah, I still have that reverb from '85. Uh, oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael has like all the gear used on all the albums you've ever. It's amazing. All we, we go over to Michael's studio, and we don't want to leave. It's the happiest. We place want to take yeah. everything with us if we have to go. It's it's a rock and roll museum. It really is. <laughs> And I, every time I go, I ask if I can move in, and he never says yes. <laughs> One of these days, I'll wear him down. Well, they yeah. all want to move under the stairs where all the demos That's are. That's where I want to live. Yeah. I want to be with all the master tapes, all we the don't, albums. We don't show up with albums, we show, or with luggage, we show up with reel-to-reel players. Right. We'll be over here in the corner. <laughs> I can get an ADAP machine. I can. I promise. <laughs> That's a <laughs> Well, Toby, um... So you you know you've got a very eclectic mix of stuff on your resume. You know you've worked with a wide variety of bands. You know like one of my favorite albums you did was the home album for Seven Dust. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Like I mean that's just an incredible album, and you know and there's just so much big sound to it. Right. And then of course Follow the Leader by Corn. You know that's the the best produced Corn album of every album in catalog in my opinion. Thank you. So. Um, I don't know. What what would you view as like maybe one of the what is your your top tier list of the stuff that you're most proud of from, from the stuff you've done? Is, are those two in there? Those two are definitely in there. Um, and then Unplugged, Alice in Chains, yeah. Yeah, one of my favorites because um, it went from the mixing console directly to the CD. Really? And the mastering engineer tried to master it and he said, I can't do any better. <laughs> That's impressive. I said, wow, okay, you're sure. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I add this, I add this, I take this away, it makes it worse. Right. I'm like, okay, I'll That's go true. with it. So that's one of my proudest moments, I think. And, you know, uh, Rehab was, was a, a record that uh, I'm pretty proud of as well. Yeah. Southern Discomfort. That was an interesting band. And an we interesting were talking record. about them on our show. Right. right. We were yeah. talking about it earlier, too. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the one. Uh, that's one of the ones that came to me with a a bass drum loop, maybe, and, yeah. and a bass and a little bit of a vocal, and said, "Here, mix that." And I went, "Okay, now what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's that?" And they went, "Where's the rest of the music?" And I said, "Well, this is what we do to mix." Right. And yeah. and they said, "Well, we need more." So yeah. I, I played mostly everything on the record. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> wow. That's true. That's crazy. See, the work a producer has to do sometimes. Is it true? Yeah. Michael, what would you say are like the top highlights for you that you're most proud of? Well, I still like the first two Ski Roy albums. Oh, they're incredible. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And then uh, from a mixing standpoint, I liked uh, No More Tears. No More Tears, yeah. Until it got remastered. Oh, you didn't? No, 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 no I hate it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So, and then of course, the most of the time, Master of Puppets. Master of Puppets. Right. Master of Puppets. This is the guy that mixed right. Master of Puppets. So, that. that deserves some round of and uh, and oh, one of our favorite. do this for the next five hours. Uh, yeah, just I'm just gonna have you plan for the rest done. of the day. But uh, <laughs> one of the ones we love that we did an album with Unleashed on, an album that got unfairly swept under the rug, was Dog Eat Dog by Warren. Yeah. I mean, just one of the most perfect sounding records with perfect material. I mean, well, just, that was the day rock moved to Canada and grunge moved in. <laughs> 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 That's true, and and Michael appears vocally on that album. When you hear the uh, the German part on Bitter Pill, yeah. it's Michael in there. That's yeah. awesome. Which I didn't know until we recorded that with him. Every time I hear it, I'm like, yep, there he is. It makes so much sense. <laughs> the German in the song. Of course, apparently, yeah, Janie Lane loves the, the the German language. Isn't that what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, speak a little German, yeah. <laughs> a little. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you guys this. I want to ask some industry questions too. What is your opinion on the lack of dynamics these days and the whole loudness wars issue that goes on where everything is just brick walled on albums? What's your hate, it, on that? hate it, hate yeah. it, hate it. I, I won't do it. Yeah, I won't, I won't do it either. I won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that, yeah. To me, it's white noise with vocals. Right. You know, and and uh, uh, it, it's a typical industry problem that came through an industry problem. Yeah. And luckily now everybody's going against it. It's finally it's starting to go Europe, away. In Europe, they have yeah. like programs that bring it down, and it, you know, dynamics is music. I never yeah. understood what the point of doing it was. No. Well, it was. It kind of came out of the boardroom meetings because uh, they would have boardroom meetings. They had like 15 people. Uh, they would play in five bars of a minute of right. a song. And if the song was just a little bit louder than the other yeah, song, like people liked it better. Right. But mm -hmm. if you hear the whole song, if it doesn't build up, if there's no dynamics, it sucks. Yeah, it's you just know? all noise. But the loud part that little bit and then and then they liked it better and that's what they would sign. Gotcha. But it's, it's kind of become the standard, although that's good that news that it's moving away from it that. It is, yeah. Right. Like, tell me what's your take on it. Same thing. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it's anti-music. It yeah. really is. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of noise and, you know, people just use their plugins because they have them. Right. And, and <laughs> I don't agree with that. If you need it, use it. If you don't, then don't. That's right. And that's true. If you're good with your music and you can build in dynamics yeah. when you're mixing, I think that's really super important. Right. Uh, Michael's certainly very good at that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really, you know, I think that's what music is all about. Right. You know. They have those things now, they're called faders. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't heard of that. Use them. Yeah. That's what you, they're there for. used to have, you would breathe and you would have depth, and now it's just like... Yeah. You know, and if you're unfortunate enough to have to listen to it on MP3, because oh, you're hearing it with you, it's like, okay, so you're listening to good something good, some Deep Purple or something, it sounds good, and then all of a sudden, like, the new Metallica comes up in the shuffle, and it just explodes twice as loud, but yeah. sounds horrible compared to the classic well, mixing like, and yeah, production. Like right. right. Yeah. It's too much. And, and in most cases, or in, 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 in uh, many cases, I think it's just lack of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Somehow it doesn't sound good, let's slap a compressor on it. You know, right. that, that you have other ways of doing that, people don't learn that anymore. Right. You know, Metallica, of course, that, that's, that's people that know what they're doing, and we know where that's coming from. Right. <laughs> it's not coming from the producer. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, so both of you guys work with Metallica. So that's, that's, that's one, right. one band you have in common. 
Um, so you mix master puppets. Oh, yeah. Tons of bins in Tom Rafferty. Well, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's focus on the taco a little bit. I've heard that Lars Ulrich is a tad particular about his drum sound. Is that correct? <laughs> um, <laughs> Sarcasm mode off. Well, they, let's put it that way. Both of them, Lars and James, knew exactly where they wanted to go. Right. You know, they, they saw a little light on the on the effects right and goes, what is that? Is that reverb? Turn it off. You know, so you had to sneak the reverb back in when you left the room. So it was a battle. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's sometimes very typical that musicians just hear their own instrument. Right. You know, if right. the drums are good, he doesn't care about the guitars, but the other way around. Right. You know, and you as a producer, engineer, you have to sit there and put it all so it makes sense. Right. So you're trying to please like at least two to four people at a time. At least. At least. Yeah. yeah. yeah at least. I think you told me that the drum tracks for And Justice for All took how many weeks? Six months. Six months. <laughs> months. They were oh, done nothing but drums Just for drums. six months. Yeah. <laughs> they must be really good. <laughs> really good. I, I really good. But I had to edit two inch tape. Yeah, so you got good with the razor blade. Yeah. I got really good with it, besides the other. Oh, well, we can get into those stories, too, if we want. Um, Did you have a mirror because of your console? Yeah. I, I had a mirror, uh, a cutting block, and a wrist. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and after six months of doing drum tracks, you're ready for the wrist. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Wow. That's a trip. Well, um, how do you think things are different compared now to the old days? Like everyone, there's a lot of people now that are doing their albums out of their bedroom. And like, sure. it's almost like there's not as much of a currency on real production anymore. It's almost like, oh, I got Pro Tools at home, I can just knock it out in my basement and do it now. But there's still a real need, because like, but if you listen to you guys' stuff, you honestly can hear a difference between somebody who knows what they're doing and someone who has Pro Tools in their house. Oh, yeah. Well, if I have a typewriter, I'm still not Tolstoy. <laughs> I can't write a novel, <laughs> you know? So, um... I think it comes from foremost from the budgetary side. Yeah. That the, the right. labels, the budgets got cut. Oh, there's eight ads. Buy buy six of those. You know, and yeah. that's that's your budget for the record and produce it yourself. And whoever is uh, the owner of the garage that you're recording, that will be the producer. Right. You know, and and before when we did something, yeah, a record takes two months. You have pre-production. Uh, you go through the songs, you pick all that stuff up, you work with the band, right. and that's missing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then something, it's, it's basically a demo what get, gets recorded a little bit better way. Right. Uh, and, and some people are good, but I have a problem with thinking that musicians doing the technical stuff while they're performing is just a completely wrong thing. Right. It's two different sides of the brain. Right. Yeah. yeah, you need a different perspective, I would think, you know, to keep your vision clear. Someone like you guys that can take a band that's got a vision of what they want and help them get to it the best way that they can. Right. Yeah. Right. When I did uh, King's X, yeah. halfway yeah. through, it was a tight table goes, I am so glad I just have to play guitar. Right. You know? Yeah. Because he, sure. they had produced their own records for a long time. Oh, but what a guitar player. Oh, oh absolutely. Ty Tabor is one of the best guitar players yep. I've ever For here. sure. Yeah. 
And then you uh, and with speaking of Kings X, you worked with them on uh, one of your music workshops. Like they were the band. Actually, was doing, it was right? the other way around in that case. I do workshops where we where I get a band and we do one song within like five days. Yeah. And you have people coming in from all over the world to learn how to record. Yeah. This was different. This was the beginning of the record for Kings X. In the first four days, you could buy yourself into the studio. Yeah. And there were more fans than technicians there. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're very loyal fans. It paid for some of the traveling costs of the band and some right. stuff. I got you. Okay. If you would uh, could sit in on a kiss session, would you pay for that? Absolutely. There you go. That'd be the most <laughs> fun thing in the world. <laughs> Does that mean you're working with Kiss next? Me? No. Yeah. Uh, Michael's a big Kiss fan, if you don't. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I know everything about Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's an ACDC you might, man. I was going to start on ACDC. in the right place. <laughs> he loves ACDC. Yeah. We've asked Michael before if there was one band that you've never worked with before, who would it be? And you said ACDC would yeah. be your number one pick. Yeah. Toby, if you had a chance to work with any band that you wanted to, who would you choose? ACDC, Stones, yeah, something like that. And you know, I, I think that's right. On. I've, I've, my bucket list is pretty full. I would say, yeah, for both you guys. Yeah. Now, hold on, I got, if you want to know about working with Kiss, ask Toby, Michael. He'll right. tell you all about it. Um, <laughs> so anyway. A long, tall coffee. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, so, so what's, on the, what's on the docket for you guys now? What are you guys currently working on? What are the projects that these people in the audience here can uh, expect from me in the future? Well, the next, uh, well, there's a few ones. I'm working with Vixen right now. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm working with the Dead Gats. Okay. And then next year I'm going to do the next uh, Jasmine King record. Oh, really? Yeah, and then there's a band from Germany that probably nobody knows over here that are coming here to do their record here in May. What are they called? I don't know. So you don't know? <laughs> I said we don't know them. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I, I put you on the spot. The Germans it's, don't even know. It's a band from Germany. <laughs> Some German name band. Something Diva. Diva? Okay. <laughs> what about you, Toby? What do you got going on? I'm just currently uh, developing a few artists here in Nashville, yeah. and, um, and then I have, you know, some apps and technology stuff that I'm working on as well. Awesome. That, uh, you know, hopefully will help humankind as, as a whole. So you're going to be the next Steve Jobs. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> I take that. Yeah, I take that. I take that. Develop it, but I'll still know you as the guy that produced Carnival of Soul. Right. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for for taking the time out and showing up for this thing, which yeah. is a complete experiment for the what first time. What do you guys think of this? When you see something like this, do you feel hope for the future of rock music kind of stuff that you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that? Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Every every time you can bring people together about music yeah. is a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cheers to that. Alright, well thanks again for doing this guys and thank all of you for coming to the expo. Thanks to Michael Wagner and Toby We got we got the wireless mic, we wanna do some QA. Oh do we want to do some show? audience QA? Yeah, yeah, why don't we do that real fast? Nice. You have it? I thought you had it. I almost right. made it. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> you got a mic? Oh, you got it right there. Okay, let's lay out a little audience in there. There you go. All right, you got one. Hey, Michael. AJ Zenon. I own tons of MP1s, and of course, you use them all the great records. 
uh, back in the day, Skid Row, you know, White Line, everything like that. Um, what would you say was um, your favorite amp to record with since then? Have you changed anything? What's your favorite guitar amp for getting great tones out of? It? Um, besides the MP1, you mean? Yeah, the MP1 was, um, it's not just the MP1, there's a whole other chain of, of uh, gear that goes with it. You know, Macintosh Power Amp, and then certain EQs, and, and Furman EQs, and stuff like that. Um, I don't have a favorite amp, or didn't have a favorite amp, because we always went and see what the guitars of the musicians sounded like through a, maybe a whole bunch of different amps. By now, I exclusively use the camper for anything. I, my amps haven't been on in two and a half years. Cool, good question. Michael can talk gear for hours. You got anybody else? Anybody got a question? I got one up front here. I was gonna say, look at that, Chris, we covered it all. Hi, <laughs> Toby. <laughs> I heard that Paul and Gene were getting along during a Carnival of Souls, and that's why Bruce played on uh, bass on all of Paul's songs. Any truth to that? Half truth. Half truth? Yeah, he, he played about half the record on the bass. Uh, was there a, did you notice tension between Gene and Paul during the album? A little. <laughs> Are you surprised? <laughs> no, but it, it was, uh, you know, Bruce pushing that record, you know, really every day, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, you know, he and I just pounded it out. And, you know, when it came time for that kind of stuff, it was, okay, here you go, do your thing. And, you know, then we make it better if it's not as good as it can be, basically. So. Yeah. Anybody got another question? What do you say? Darren up front here. I know that guy. Hey, hey Michael. Uh, I've read online Sebastian Bach said he might look at you on his next album. Have you heard from him or heard anything no. about that? I haven't heard from him since uh, Bringing Bach Alive. Oh. Which was when? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was before 2000. Yeah. For a behind-the-scenes story, we tried to line it up to where Sebastian was playing Nashville the weekend that we recorded with Michael for the Slave to the Grind albums Unleashed, and we we were working on trying to get both of them in the same room for it. It just didn't work out, but it would have been really fun. But we had a, we had a great episode out of it anyway. Yeah. And then we did this, but we also did one on the first album with Michael and Rachel Bolin. If you haven't heard that, that's a really good episode. And that was one of the easiest interviews Aaron and I ever did. We just turned the recorder on and let them tell stories. It was great. <laughs> oh, we got anybody else? Oh, sorry. All right, who we got next? I got two, one each. All right. Uh, got more money for two. Uh, first question is for Michael. Um, Slave to the Grind, Quicksand Jesus is one of those songs that the more times you hear it, the more things you hear in it. That is just an extremely detailed song. Do you have any stories of, of how you got that that mix and, and how you got it to sound like that with the guitars and everything that's just kind of swirling around but everything is still perfectly clear? Well, you know, you always uh, you have to pay attention to detail. That's basically goes for everything, you know, and, and uh, the way I record, I do all the drums for the whole album, and then I do one song at a time. 
So in other words, you stick, you stick with your thinking, with your feeling, with your headphone mix in one song. The whole band is there, and then the ideas just start flowing. You know, obviously we did a, we did a whole bunch of pre-production, which I still tend to do to the day. Uh, but you leave some stuff open for the studio, and, and 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 that's how it works. You know, can we do this? Can we do that? How about this? You know, that's how it comes together. Thank you. Yeah, one more time. Yeah, question for Toby is, um, Alice in Chains vocals are pretty standout because of the interplay between Jerry Cantrell and Wayne. Um, do you have any stories or anything about how you got that sound uh, on the ones that you worked on, how you harmonize that? Um, yeah, I mean, that sound got, it started uh, with Dave Jordan on the Dirt record. Um, and it kind of just, we developed it as we went, um, and I started with them, like I said earlier, on the Jar of Flies record. Um, and we developed that as, as we went because Lane, you know, Lane heard all these harmonies in his head. And it was like an orchestra of vocals in his head. And he could go out and sing, you know, he'd, he would say to me, you know, I'd say, how many tracks do you need? I need six on this one. Okay, and he'd go out and he'd sing me a melody, and then he'd sing me a what turned out to be a harmony, then he'd sing me an alternate melody and another alternate melody. And he just had that all in his head. And a few times I would question him and say, uh, does this fit here? Oh, I'll show you when we're done. And so we, you know, after he's finished singing the song, come in and sit down with these faders and, oh, well, when you hit this line, you know, this melody line needs to take over and this one needs to take over on the next line and so on and so forth. And it was a, a big thing in, in progress, basically as we went through each record and it kind of he wanted to keep it growing and and jerry was you know just of the opposite where he would hear all the instrumentation and orchestration in his head and he'd know exactly where you know what instrument needed to be where and you know so on and so forth and the team was just it was perfect you know that's right and i and i just captured it i was lucky to be there yeah yeah <laughs> it's got to be pretty heartwarming for you guys to hear from music listeners and aficionados even that takes something that you guys have helped create and really gets deep into it oh, and yeah. comes to you with questions those deep questions like that i love a lot because i always see you guys get such enjoyment from it because it's got to be like an artist seeing somebody truly understand what you were trying to paint i like that there's a great lot of people like that here tonight absolutely excellent do we have any other questions those were all great questions, all great by questions. the way. Yeah. Well, let me end with this. You know, you mentioned, was, would you say Lane is one of one of the top vocalists you've most loved working with? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I miss him. Yeah. He was there's amazing. nobody out there like like him. Very big. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And what about you, Michael? What, what yeah, was who's your, who's your favorite singer that you worked with? Um, Don. <laughs> Jolyn Turner was the, my Joel favorite. Turner. Yeah, yeah. yeah wow. I mean, yeah. I've worked with a lot of singers that I that I really like. Yeah, like Jane Lane being one of them. Yeah, and but uh, um, Joe was it's just that's my thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. sitting there and going, hey, can you do it a little bit like in uh, Street of Dreams? Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, very cool. All right, well, if we have no more questions, we're gonna adjourn now. And thanks everybody for coming out today. Thank you. Thanks for Thank you guys so much. Sure. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 